Hello and welcome to Dial FF Langer, which is a chat show about comics and stuff. Um, and today it's definitely comics, not the stuff. So we are talking about uh, probably my favourite format of um, comic, which is the prestige format. And I'm joined by Michael Bailey from the Fortress of Baileytude. Um, I do 100 podcasts a day, Bailey. Um <laughs> Well, that sort of thing. So, Michael, hello. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate this. No, well, we knew we were going to talk. We weren't sure what. And then uh, I was actually reading a prestige format comic, and I thought, hey, no one's ever talked about these that I know of. Let's uh, let's talk about them. So, what do you consider a prestige format uh, comic, and what do you associate with them? Well, I am uh, I am an old school fan at this point, and I was around when the prestige format book started so i associate it with the prestige format or bookshelf edition uh, because apparently it was a comic book nice enough to put on your bookshelf because of it having more of a cardstock cover uh, being a little thicker being uh, not bound by a staple uh, but more glue binded or however that is and so for decades literally i had all of my prestige books on the bookshelf with my trades and then i realized i needed room for my trades and so i took all my prestige <laughs> this is back when i had my full collection so i took all the prestige format books off and suddenly i had to fill like four short boxes oh well <laughs> because apparently i went insane there for a little while but I mainly associate it that this means that to DC or Marvel or whatever publisher put it in that format, but DC seemed to do the most, they were signifying this is special. This is something that you need to pay attention to. It's a little more expensive. It's a little more high-end you're not going to find this on the newsstand. You're going to find it either in a specialty shop or in Walden Books. Yeah, and it's uh, 48 pages long, generally. Mm -hmm. Yes. With no ads. Yeah, and yes. that's another big thing is that it, it doesn't have house ads or anything. It's just it's 48 pages of story and title stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. So which do you think was the first one you ever bought? The first one I ever bought was Gotham by Gaslight. No, no, that's wrong. I'm sorry. I did buy The Killing Joke before that. Uh, because I had to. Because it was the summer of 1989, and there was a little-known blue law in the United States that you had to buy a copy of The Killing Joke, Batman Year One, and The Dark Knight Returns within <laughs> the year of the Batman movie came out. So it was from like June 1989 to June 1990, you had to get those. And I found, I think it was a fifth printing of The Killing <laughs> Joke, because it went through so many. Uh, and then after that, I remember buying Gotham by Gaslight off the stands. Right, yes. Um, my first one was uh, The Killing Joke, uh, second printing. <laughs> so, yes. So you got to it a little but, earlier than I did. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, in my research, and this has been, you know, we, we are both researchers when it comes to talking about things. Uh, you're probably a bit more dedicated than me, but we don't, you know, we don't we just wing it you know, on all occasions. But um, as far as I can see, probably The Dark Knight Returns is the first deluxe uh, prestige format. So, yeah, I couldn't think of anything from before that. Yeah, at, uh, at, at first I thought it was Ronin, Frank Miller's Ronin, but then I discovered, no, that was just 
just a regular comic. Uh, and yeah, that, that's what I kind of found too, that this was like the signifier again, that this was a different kind of book. Uh, yeah. And, you know, more mature, more adult, uh, more high end. And those went through a number of printings as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I certainly, I, one of the first uh, proper comics I bought was probably the Dark Knight Returns trade because, you know, it was a trade and there weren't many trades back then. Um, yeah. And I got definitely got the year one trade as well. Um, and the killing joke. So yeah, your, your calculations, it's, um, it's what I call the Holy Trinity of Batman, according to the year of 1989, in the name of the year one, the killing joke, and the Dark Knight Returns. So, Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think I got them all before the movie, but, uh, uh, you know, who can remember? Um, okay, so, yeah, I definitely got Gotham by Gaslight. And I think, yeah, there's certainly at the start, there was a real um, shine to them. And then... Yeah, they did go crazy at one point, which I think was after the success of Grant Morrison's Justice League, uh, yeah. JLA. Uh, that was when they suddenly went, hey, what's better than lots of Justice League books selling? More Justice League books selling. So, um, they, you know, anyone could get one. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. between yeah. Elseworlds, uh, which are mostly Batman books, if you look at that list, and, yeah, definitely JLA becoming a brand for DC uh, around 1997, where you slapped that logo on anything, uh, it would it would sell, even if it wasn't written by Grant Morrison. And, oh man, I remember just the sheer number of books. If you go to Mike's Amazing World, for example, and queue up DC in like 1997, 1998, 1999, there are so many high-end prestige books. Like, I, they must have just been producing those at such a clip that it then and just putting them out and how do you sustain that market because this thing's got to be like six seven bucks a pop mm. by that point yeah and you know pretty soon you're you're owning jla superpower and you go well why did i buy this uh and you know they seem to basically start sitting apart from continuity as mm -hmm. well which um you know what you read in a prestige book suddenly didn't seem to matter that much um, yeah, but I mean, I should clue in your audience listeners uh, that what we're doing today is we're going to talk about our top five prestige format comics. Um, and because I couldn't completely narrow it down, I've got to do honorable mentions. And I think we'll have to mention the most significant ones. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, also there's a, what's the technical term? A crap ton of crossover ones as well. Where yeah, um, other companies got to play. Yeah, especially, um, yeah, I would say most of the 90s crossovers were prestige format. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I'm I don't think Marvel vs. JLA was, was one, but yeah, definitely it, it, it was JLA Avengers and Avengers. Oh, JLA, JLA Avengers, yeah. Marvel yeah. vs. Sorry, I, I got Marvel vs. DC and JLA Avengers confused there. I apologize. No, no, one's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's entirely fair no that though i will say that dc versus marvel Mars's marvel versus dc had like a better cover stock yeah um but that was just a thing they did but yeah that, that was I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised it wasn't prestige format because uh, they probably could have made another dollar or so per issue that they sold 
which and those were pretty hearty sellers uh, from what yeah. Diamond tell, tells me, according to the Comicron website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm still bitter about a couple of those matchups and the way they turned out. <laughs> You know, it's like if you trust people to uh, vote for things, you don't get a good outcome. It's almost like it, that. it was definitely, I remember saying at the time to the guy that owned the comic shop I was going to, I'm like, this is the student class election of <laughs> of, of, of voting. We're, we're not voting, we're not looking at the characters and saying pound for pound who would win. We're looking at who's the most popular, which was the point. I mean, it was just DC yeah. and Marvel throwing a Hail Mary and trying to get audience interaction uh, so kudos to them for that but yeah there's no way that wolverine's beating lobo yeah i mean at best you could probably engineer a, a sort of doomsday outcome where they both fall down dead but yeah um, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's cover the most significant ones yes. and uh what did you have on your list of the most significant uh i had uh, obviously the dark knight Retur- the dark knight which became the dark knight returns um i i i don't think for good or ill, I don't think you can overestimate the impact this series had on comics and on Batman. Mm. Um, because people are still chasing it <laughs> to a certain extent yeah. with their with how they perceive Batman. But it was it was such a, a huge seller for DC. Uh, and I can't even imagine the amount of money they made off of it because comics at the time were seventy five cents. And this thing was like three or four bucks and yep. sold out pretty much on the first day. And I, you know, how many different iterations of the tra- the collected edition has this thing gone through? Yeah, I definitely, um, it's iconic and it's iconic in content. It's also in con- iconic in con- uh, covers. So like the silhouette of Batman with the lightning has been uh homaged or ripped off many 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 times um mm-hmm. last month i bought a comic with that as the cover uh knighted from awa uh yeah but certainly it is significant as far as you know people went oh comics aren't just for kids anymore <laughs> and you know that and watchmen i mean it's, it's kind of amazing that watchmen wasn't prestige format but uh, as well but uh, that would mean more co- uh, story pages or less issues or something so it wasn't structured that way all right, uh, I'll go with the next one. I think The Killing Joke is incredibly um, significant. Uh, friends of mine got into The Killing Joke because um, one of the band members of Metallica mentioned it on a documentary. So, Really? Uh, ooh. Yeah. Okay. So he held it up and said, this is The Killing Joke, it's Batman, it's cool. And uh, everyone went out and bought it for that reason. And I, I think it, you know, it's like the, the Arkham Asylum video game of comics in that it, was, it transcended the comic medium for quite a while and people got into it because of what it was and it looked you know it, the cover is pure pop art it's just mm-hmm. um you know something that people want on t-shirts and you know that's how everyone thinks of the joker these days so yeah what are your thoughts on it yeah for for good or ill uh, again you, you you can you can argue particulars about the story but you can't argue the cultural significance it had uh, I, the, the fact that it took as long to get an animated film of it, uh, I was kind of surprised <laughs> in all mm. honesty, but it was one of those things where I was 13 years old reading the, the tops Batman movie souvenir magazine and reading another like making of Batman book. And they had like a section on here are the comics and 
all both of those had images from the killing joke. And as a 13-year-old, it was a little <laughs> disturbing. Uh, wow. Because I was not used to seeing that in a comic. It was definitely for mature readers. And I think that's why it is so popular, especially amongst people around our age, is because it, it hit us at a particular time in our lives where we were primed to have that sort of, not perversion, but subversion of of what we think of as Batman. This isn't the Adam West TV series. This isn't the Super Friends. Uh, this is dark, and it's serious, and it's an exploration of the Batman and the Joker's relationship. And, yeah. and it's lurid in uh, content and color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's Brian Boland art. So it looks great. I mean, I had never seen Batman's cowl get twisted on his face before. And yet yeah. in that book, you see that and you're like, oh, that that could happen in, in a fight that Batman had. So I, I was just, I, I remember being blown away with it uh, at the time, you know, when I was a teenager. My thoughts are complicated now, but my thoughts are complicated about just about everything. So there's that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit exploitative, uh, and the only way you could really make it worse would be having uh, Batgirl sleep with Batman, but uh, who would do that? (laughs) Uh, See the Killing Joke movie adaptation. (laughs) Yeah, that was a bad, that was a bad call, Azzarello, a bad call. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but uh, yeah, written by Alan Moore, so of course, Frank Miller does Dark Knight Returns, Alan Moore does The Killing Joke, if you don't know of them, um... Where have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, this one I think is something that uh, people at least know of if mm. they haven't read it yet. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's one of the holy texts, as people, yeah. uh, as you could say. Now, what's next on your significant list? Uh, Kingdom Come. Uh, I, I, I think, like Dark Knight, uh, most people now think of it as a trade paperback, but that was a prestige format book that came out monthly. Uh, with some beautiful wraparound covers by Alex Ross. And again, you can't really overestimate the impact that book had on the DC Universe for like the next 20 years. Uh, it Not only does it have like some great art and some great redesigns and a probable future for the DC Universe, I think it started cementing the Wonder Woman as warrior aesthetic that is pretty much dominant <laughs> now. I, I don't think, you know, look, look at the, uh, the, sec- the Wonder Woman 1984 and the armor was similar to the armor she wore in Kingdom Come. Uh, mm. With Alex Ross not getting any money for that, by the way. Uh, because why, why bother, right? But it, it's, it, it was kind of a dark future that has a hopeful ending. Like, it and Watchmen come to the same conclusion, but in vastly different ways, uh, Mm. from vastly different perspectives. Watchmen is about how, you know, only these certain people are going to continue being superheroes, kind of stick it to the man, but it was like, we we need to come to, it's the end of that kind of putting on a costume and fighting crime, whereas Kingdom Come is we're going to stop doing this in the way we were doing because we can't make decisions for you. We have to make decisions with you. 
you know, not we can't live above humanity. We have to live with humanity and work with them and use our abilities to take care of the things that humanity can't, but we can't shape who they are and, and what they become. Mm. And uh, it, it's it's a great story. I mean, the the to be fair, the trade does have some deleted scenes, which is weird. But it all started as four prestige format uh, comic books. Yeah, the other thing the trade has, which is great, is a little uh, guide to who's on all the covers. Yeah. <laughs> which you kind of need. <laughs> you do kind of need. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. That one's very significant. Um, I have one that I think was significant, and it's going back a bit earlier, and I think uh, Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters, because I think that came up with a new template for tackling you know, older heroes and making them you know, uh, grittier and more relevant. And I think if you squint, there's a sort of a line to vertigo somewhere in there. Um, and you know, the green arrow one was, uh, Mike Grell doing all aspects of the book just about. And then they went, Oh, this is good. We should try this again. Let's do it with uh, Hawkman. And then let's do it with Adam strange. And that, you know, they kept trying it after that. So I think, uh, yeah, longbow hunters was certainly an, another one that, uh, basically created a new style. Yeah, it was really an exploration of what happens when a superhero hits 40 and he realizes yeah. he's a grandfather, essentially. And what does that do? And, and, and again, there are certain particulars of the story <laughs> that people kind of find hinky now. But it's amazing how things are just accepted at a time period. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't people at the time that raised objections to especially what happens to Black Canary in the story. But the dominant conversation is this is the mature new version of Green Arrow. And it launched and it launched a, a, an ongoing series, and Grell did like 80 issues, uh, plus yeah. some annuals and some miniseries. And it was, and it was mostly divorced from continuity and things. Yeah, the only time he really had anything to do with the larger DC universe is all of the annuals, uh, the first like couple of annuals, excuse me, uh, teamed up with like, were, were like crossovers with Detective Comics and The Question, uh, which was another book that was kind of, The Question was another book that was kind of divorced from DC continuity, uh, though apparently existing within it because Batman's there. And, and I think you could do that because Denny O'Neill was the editor of Batman who really wanted Batman to be divorced from the rest of the <laughs> DC universe. Yeah. And there was like a team up at one point with uh, Warlord, uh, you know, Mike Grell's creation and how basically they look alike <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. just with different colored hair. But yeah, it was the equalizer with uh, superheroes, essentially. Yeah, and how Jordan would show up, but he was never in costume and never, you know, making a big green boxing glove or anything. Yeah, and it, it's it's a solid series. It really is, but it all stems from that uh, that prestige book, which became one of like the five trades you would find at bookstores in the late eighties and the early nineties. <laughs> it's like yep. you would that and Dark Phoenix Saga and. Man of Steel and Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> mm, yep. Yeah. All right. Now, should we get into the sexy part of the show where we talk about our top five? And uh, we'll start with our number five. Uh, Mike, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, I actually have the four issue Wolverine Saga, which Marvel didn't do as many prestige books as DC, but. 
they uh but this one i particularly like mainly because it follows this format uh in 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 1984 if i'm remembering correctly they started publishing this comic called marvel saga which was basically text and images married together to give you a chronological history of the marvel universe including all the retcons so you would have like jack kirby art with the fantastic four but then there would be ron wilson art of the retcons that came during like the thing series from the mid 80s and wolverine and the x-men were so popular in the later part of the decade that they did an entire four issue history of wolverine and i'm i'm of that generation that loves wolverine uh <laughs> That Wolverine was the cool character to like. And I liked him because he was short. And there weren't too many short superheroes at the time. And as someone who's 5'5", <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of appreciated that. But it's a really cool breakdown of, up until that point, like the history of the character going into like the flashbacks from the Wolverine series. And flashbacks with Alpha Flight and him joining the X-Men and all of the retcons they put in, you know, after that, thanks to, like, uh, X-Men Classic or Classic X-Men. And it's just, it's got Rob Liefeld covers because it was the late 80s and, and he was <laughs> becoming more popular. But I just, I, I found one issue, a friend gave it to me, and it was just so important that over the years I just kept trying to track down the whole thing, and it's one of the few comics that I've kept uh, from the major purges that I've done over the last few years. Wow, Marvel on the list. Okay, I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah, Marvel <laughs> were doing a few, but yeah, they seemed a lot more hit and miss than DC were at the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you for every like uh, Ghost Rider, Punisher, um, Wolverine, like one shot. I think that was one of them. You had like the Wolverine Havoc. Uh, a meltdown, you, yeah. Uh, if you ever want to see uh, where a lot of Captain America, the first Avenger, came from, read the four-issue The Adventures of Captain America by uh, Fabian Nicieza and Kevin McGuire, because a lot of what in that movie was, was in that book. <laughs> mm. All right, so my number five, and uh, I'm sure you will be familiar with this one, is Lex Luthor, The Unauthorized Biography. Mm. Yeah, by uh, what's his face? It was um, James uh, Hudnall. Yep, James Hudnall. Yeah, I believe it was Eduardo Barreto. Uh, well, yeah, and it's beautiful. Um, but it's a sort of um, how did Lex Luthor become a really bastard businessman? That's the, that's the story of it, and it goes back to his youth, and uh, you know, he poor parents um, who aren't very nice, um, but he's equally not as nice, so he takes care of them, uh, and not in a retirement sort of way. And, uh, yeah, just about building his empire and his ruthlessness. And um, it's noted for having a, a cover, which is a send-up of uh, The Art of the Deal by someone. And uh, that became the, the Pitcher on the Baldy Awards, which I'm sure we're both familiar with. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, um, and I love this comic. It's, it's really good. Um, it's, it's kind of a bit nasty. But I, I really appreciated just the the take on Lex Luthor and saying, okay, this makes sense with the man who's appearing in you know the Superman books of the time, uh, particularly the Burn era on around there, 
Um, you know, and it's before all things like Aussie clones and, uh, <laughs> yeah. You appreciate it more than anybody else. Uh, no, anyway, um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. So did that one make your top five? It did. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to that when, uh, when we get to it on the list. Um, cause, uh, yeah, I have some thoughts about it too. Okay. Uh, my number four is <laughs> Batman Master of the Future. And this was Ooh. the sequel to uh, Gotham by Gaslight, uh, which is uh, kind of interesting. I didn't even know it existed until like years later uh, when I when I was I had just gotten into college. So this was like 1994 and this came out in like 1992 and uh, it was written by Brian Augustine, who co-wrote Gotham by Gaslight, with art by, well, look at that, Eduardo Barreto. <laughs> <laughs> and what I like about it is mainly, it's, it's a fun story. It's, it's, it's still in that kind of Victorian-era Gotham, and there's a fight on a dirigible. So if you've ever seen the Gotham by Gaslight animated film, the ending of that was kind of taken from this, where there's a giant fight on an airship. And it's basically, you know, air pirates and political intrigue with police, with Gordon being commissioner and Tolliver from the, the, the first story being mayor and all that. But it's really Eduardo's Barreto, Eduardo Barreto's art that makes this sing. Because he draws that costume. I love Mike Mignola. I may prefer Eduardo Barreto's take on the costume. Oh. Uh, it just looked so cool. <laughs> and that uh, that always, like, that's that's why it's high on the list. It's, it's not like number one on the list. But it's just like, this is one that I don't think a lot of people know about. Oh. Uh, you know, every, people most people know Gotham by Gaslight. Uh, because it was the retroactively put in as like the first Elseworlds, but now Dark Knight Returns is considered an Elseworlds. So DC, <laughs> DC's just going to keep going back on that, I guess. <laughs> and now like everything from their publishing history is an Elseworlds. So yeah. there's that too. But uh, have you ever read this one? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I bought it at the time uh, when it was new. Um and thought, oh wow, okay, they're doing sequels now to uh, you know out of continuity things. Which um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I I didn't survive one of my purges, but uh, it was a fairly desperate purge. So <laughs> let's let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, no, very good. And I, I really I love the the starkness of the cover of this one. So with mm -hmm. all the just Batman's face in amongst all the black, it looked really good. That yellow bat. It looked. It yeah. Would attract every crease and discoloring <laughs> that would come along with it. So it's kind of like a bad choice, you know, in yeah. hindsight. All right. My number four is uh, Cosmic Odyssey, which, um, of course, we've covered on DCOCD. Um, but I I love it. I, I, I Mike Mignola's art on this and Jim Starlin's story, it's like. Um, let's have a tour of the DC universe, the weird parts and the space parts, and let's team up, you know, all these disparate characters in strange combos and, you know, let's see them together and, yeah, it, and have Darkseid, and it's not Darkseid 
punching everyone. It's Darkseid just scheming. Um, and, you know, yeah, one of my favorite bits is when uh, you know, Batman gets on a payphone and calls up um, Dr. Fate and asks him to keep an eye on Darkseid. <laughs> Batman yeah. doing mundane things is memorable, like the the one Brave and the Bold issue where he flew coach in costume. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, but just the art and the scope of this are awesome, and, and you know it has the demon and it has Doctor Fate and it has you know it has Adam Strange and Starfire. Um, it's got new gods in it, and it, it's it was all pretty new to me at the time. Like uh, you know this sort of DC wider you know. Uh, weirder postcodes were new to me at the time or zip codes as you would call them um so yeah i really enjoyed it and you know it it set a tone for what i thought the dc was and that has affected me to this day um if you're a john stewart fan and you think john stewart is infallible um it's a bit rough um yeah but uh, you know eh, oh yeah he's arrogant he is really (laughs) arrogant in that story and yeah uh, yeah john jones is not happy with him (laughs) no yeah but uh yeah no great story and this was one the first time this was collected i was like oh i'd like to have that all in one volume and the paper quality was not as good as the prestige edition it didn't have the the gloss and it was a a lesser quality paper and i thought no no i'll stick with my originals and um dc was really scattershot with their trade paperbacks back then i remember i remember when Death in the Family got collected for the first time. It was printed on the cheapest paper humanly possible, as was Emerald yeah. Dawn. So, yeah. yeah. But they it's... were rushed out the door as soon as, you know, basically as soon as the last issue hit. So they were, you know, it was a really effective timed cash grab. Yeah. Four, four issues, which is technically six issues, for only $4 at the time. It was a bargain. Yeah. 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 Now, that now was I one think of it's my like earlier 20. trades. <laughs> Oh yeah! I, I, Cosmic right. Odyssey was something that baffled me as a twelve-year-old, but as an adult, uh, I, I got more out of it because, like you, it just—you wouldn't think of that team being thrown together, and yet it worked so well. Like, like I, I, I think DC has a. I'm not saying that Marvel has a bad cosmic side of it because, uh, thanks to the Annihilation. Uh, series, various Annihilation series that that uh, happened starting like 2006 and going all the way up to the fact that there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> uh, but DZ always kind of had a more cooler cosmic side, in my opinion. And you got to see that here. And it was like the cosmic mixed with the mystical. Uh, which Which is kind of what the New Gods are. In, in a way. So, yeah, and and I really like the fact that it's not Dark Side and Superman slugging it out. Mm. Which is now what people want to see. Or or in in the case of Zack Snyder's Justice League him just standing there. <laughs> All right. What well, what have you got next for uh, number 3? May surprise people that it's number 3, but JLA Avengers. Um Ooh. To say that this was an event is, man, that, 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 that doesn't even begin to cover it. This was huge. It was like decades in the making. And the fact that it turned out to be a really good story that looked at both universes and the differences between them 
and made that part of the story. It's just like Kurt Busiek was the perfect guy to write this, especially at that time. Uh, I, I do agree with the idea that maybe it should have been like out of continuity, but they tried to make it the, the DC and Marvel of that era. But you got big, huge cosmic things going out, all the cosmic bad guys of both universes kind of coming together. You had a big fight between Superman and Thor, and you had um, DC, the DC heroes in the Marvel Universe going, why is everyone so mean? And the Marvel heroes in the DC Universe going... Why do they want them to worship them? What is going on? <laughs> and then the third issue where it's just a, an imagination that they teamed up every year like it was JLA, JSA. Uh, and you got to see all the different costumes. And how I think the cover to the third issue also broke George Perez for a little while with <laughs> all the characters that was on it. Uh, and there was a collected edition of this but it's horribly expensive and it's not available yeah. digitally. So really yeah. the only way to find it is the individual issues. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a con once and I saw it and it was 120 bucks and I hadn't really thought about it and went, Oh, look at that. Ooh. And then I wandered off and then I, during the day I kept thinking about it. Oh, I really should buy that and went back. It was gone. <laughs> but um, yeah, my, a friend of mine got the, the deluxe edition he managed to find it on ebay at a pretty good price and then he gave me his original issues which was very kind hmm. so but it was one i mean i was in the in the phase of i will just buy the collected editions of everything back then so <laughs> i thought this will be collected a lot <laughs> <laughs> i'm not laughing at you i'm just laughing because we've I think everybody as fans have done that at some point where they're like no that'll be there later right <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> so as you mm. slowly start weeping. <laughs> yeah, now the next one, I, I must confess I do not know your thoughts about this, but I have picked Superman for All Seasons, which was a four-issue mini by um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, who um, have made a lot of coin by working together over the years mm -hmm. um, on things like Batman, The Long Halloween, and uh, all that. But uh, this was a... It was quite a beautiful story about Superman uh, as a younger man and, uh, you know, just dipping in and out of his life and showing really, really um, great moments, I thought. And the art's beautiful. I, I love the, the goofy Clark Kent that Tim Sale does. Um, and when I think of it, I, th I think it's just, it's gentle and it's kind and it's sort of very classic and it, it feels very, very uh, American, like... Mm -hmm rooted in the traditions of American um, novelizations and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I mean, Loeb and, and Sale work, uh, except for Dark Victory and Long Halloween and uh, Challenges of the Unknown, they work almost exclusively in prestige format. <laughs> yeah. With the, with the three Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials and all that. But this was... This was something that was supposed to kind of tie into Superman's 60th anniversary. And apparently people in the offices had issues with it because they didn't like the way Tim Sale was drawing Superman. Oh, but one, it's a beautiful book, like you said. And two, Loeb had those characters' voices from word go. Yeah. Like, everyone was pitch perfect in their dialogue and in their inner musings and... Apparently, 
there was no narration at first in any of the issues. And they're like, it's going to take 30 seconds for people to read this. You need to put some words in it. And so that's why all of the different chapters are from somebody's different, uh, from a different character's perspective. And, you know, you have Jonathan in the first issue, and then you have Lana in the last issue. And Loeb just humanizes everybody to the point where you feel these are real people. And I think that's why it works so well. And it's, it's a year one story for Superman, which you didn't get a whole lot of. I mean, Batman had mm. nothing but year one stories, like from the Legends of the Dark Knight series uh, that was published between 89 and somewhere into the 2000s. But uh, I loved this book then. I love it now. Andy Leyland and I covered it on an episode of Views. Uh, so um, I think I gushed about it enough there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it does have the season thing, so every issue is hooked into a season. Mm -hmm. And I miss this Jeff Loeb. Like, I want the Jeff Loeb who wrote this back. I I don't know where he's gone. But, uh, you know, I really liked his early stuff, and I I don't know where he is now. But, (laughs) yeah, this was great. Yeah. Yeah, his DC work was much different from his Marvel work. It's really weird. Mm. Now, are you ready to go number twos? (laughs) Yes, I'll excuse myself (laughs) for a moment. Um... The James Robinson Paul Smith four issue series, The Golden Age, which has been renamed JSA The Golden Age because branding. Uh, <laughs> I love this story, and I shouldn't, uh, because it is a darker take on the All Star Squadron characters, but everything utterly works about it. Uh, Paul Smith's artwork is gorgeous. It is a slice of Americana post-World War II uh, and before and into the 50s. Uh, you know, the, the main character really is Johnny Quick, <laughs> like it was in All-Star Squadron. And you're following all of these characters whose lives have kind of collapsed post-World War II, and it has some retcons about what really happened. It wasn't the Spear of Destiny that kept the heroes out of Europe. It was a character named Parsifal who could negate somebody's powers, and there's this whole mystery about Dan the Dynamite Kid becoming a uh, a new hero that is at, under the sway, it seems, of another hero named Mr. America who's become like a a political figure and it's just it's a great story with a with with an ending that actually sticks to the landing uh, in terms of giving making it really satisfying and uh, I just love this story I just love this book Hmm. well I mean not to spoil but this is coming up on my list okay very good (laughs) (laughs) all right um my number two now this is fairly hard because I I had a swirl of books around here that I thought it could be. So um, Black Orchid, which is Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean working together for the first time, even though it didn't come out as early as some of their other stuff. Um, The Books of Magic, which is uh, Neil Gaiman again with uh, a variety of artists like Scott Hampton and Charles Vess and Paul Johnson and John Bolton. Uh, Basically, doing a, a massive story about the DC magic side. And the other one that sort of slips in here is Sandman Midnight Theatre, which is mm-hmm. also Neil Gaiman with Matt Wagner. Um, 
which is tying into uh, it's sort of a cross between the two Sandmen of the time, which is a Sandman comic, uh, the the one coming soon to Netflix, and uh, Sandman Mystery Theater. So. Yeah, I, it's something Vertigo-esque in this. Um, but I, I think Black Orchid is my favorite. Um, have you read Black Orchid? Yes, actually, I read it around the time it came out. because. So uh, I have three older sisters. Uh, the one closest in age to me, because uh, we're all two years apart, which meant there was a kid graduating high school every two years uh, for, for a while there. <laughs> um, and my sister Jane and I fought like cats and dogs when we were kids. And she was kind of the brain of the family of the, of the, of the four kids. She was the smart one. She was the one that read the Lord of the Rings trilogy at age eight and wore out a trade paperback set. Uh, and you know, it was like the, the quote unquote reader of the family. And she was kind of dismissive of my comics, especially when I really got yeah. into them. But in the summer of 1990, she had to go with my dad to pick something up for me from the comic shop because I missed an issue and I needed them <laughs> to go get it. And while there, she picks up a couple issues of The Sandman. And I guess she talked to the guy because she also picked up the Black Orchid series. And I remember reading it at the time, not making heads or tails of it, to be fair. <laughs> But I remember liking it because it was just, it was like reading the issues of Sandman she got. It was just so different from what I was reading. And I've come to later realize that that was the point of those books was to get people like my sister to read comics. Uh, the other thing about Black Orchid, which will amuse me, is a little behind the scenes story that when Neil Gaiman pitched it to Dick Giordano, Giordano did not know who Black Hawk Kid was. Um, <laughs> and apparently there was some problems with the accent there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a... It's like a superhero pacifist story. It's quite... You know, it has some horrible violence and then it has some beautiful, um, you know, forgiveness and things like that. So, yeah. And it, it really does uh, make a lot of... Uh, Wool out of the fact that uh, Black Orchid is a Black Orchid is a unknown character. Like there isn't a lot to do, you know. There, there isn't really an origin tied down firmly about her. Um, yeah, but it has a spectacular Lex Luthor James Bond moment where mm -hmm. um, you know he captures Black Orchid and is like saying, "Well, I won't do this, and I won't do. I won't do all the things that people do. I won't leave you to die in a burning room. I'm just going to get you shot in the head right now." And someone does it, and then you know. But then you discover that uh, you know Black Orchid isn't that simple. That you know the, the character will continue like a plant. I mean, if have you ever tried to kill some plants and they just won't die? Um, that's a bit similar to Black Orchid. Uh, yeah, but uh, and the art is uh, it's beautiful and you know really really moody and uh the issues sort of change colors so the first issue is very very lilac and then by the third one it's all dark green and things like that and and no the second one's green and then the third one is really blue and you know but they're they're great stories and um yeah i i it certainly does go you know hey this doesn't have to end in violence you know uh which is pretty weird for comics in the in the eighties, but um, yeah, it's a very uh, Gaiman esque uh, thing to do, though. Yeah, but I also love the books of magic, so uh, I, yeah, I 
sort of consider these as kind of a set. Um, Books of Magic had a lot of fun with um, the trench coat brigade, which mm-hmm. was all the mystical characters who wear trench coats and uh, things like that. So, yeah, I and um, you know, and congratulations for inventing Harry Potter uh, first. <laughs> Boy, my yeah. wife was salty about that when she discovered Books of Magic. Um, she was just like really it's it's a kid with glasses that so jk rowling just ripped this off and i'm like "Eh, it's a little more complicated than that but yeah (laughs) and neil gaiman isn't a turf yeah no no he's the exact opposite it's kind of nice yeah um yeah and the fact that that's the jk rowling's entire personality now so that's weird yeah oddly enough i i I read books of magic for the first time borrowing it from the same woman that i borrowed uh longbow hunters from in the summer of 95 uh she was the roommate of the girl that my my buddy larry was seeing and we were over at the apartment all the time and she was really into comics and i was just shocked that there was a girl that liked comics um (laughs) she's like (laughs) I have never seen this species before. Uh, and she's like, yeah, you need to read this and you need to read this. And she put books of magic in my hands. And I just like Larry and I both read it and we both just loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, I don't think it's a story that, uh, uh, I don't think DC capitalized on it quite the right way. I think they could have done a lot more. Um, but I think they went down a certain path with the character to make Tim Hunter a lot darker. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think they could have got a lot more out of it if they hadn't gone so dark and gone so adult. But uh, that was where their their head was at at the time, perhaps. So, yeah, and it's a series that my wife loves, uh, which which you know, my wife was not and still really isn't a comic book person. She she enjoys like watching the shows and the movies and going to the movies and such, and and she really resents the amount of comic book minutia she has in her head that she's just gotten by <laughs> osmosis. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of pointing and going, you did this to me, but, <laughs> uh, a friend of ours like lent it to her and I'm like, no, you would really like this. And she just, cause she had gotten into like, uh, fables, hardcore. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so we were buying back issues of books of magic <laughs> for my wife and I had to get her a short box. <laughs> it was just like, oh, she's got enough comics to fit into here. That's cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're we're at the top of our list, and um, for those of you who've been paying attention, you can probably guess what's on the top of our list. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Michael, Lex Luthor, the unauthorized biography. It was hard because I really I told myself I'm only going to have one Superman and one Batman on this list <laughs> uh, because you know I almost put four all seasons on it as well, uh, but I remember when this book came out that it was. It was dangerous. Uh, I, I, I know that uh, from talking to some of the creative people who were working on the regular Superman books at the time, they were a little, um, had a little resentment towards this because they felt it was something they should have done. But it's such a great story that sets up this dark history for Lex Luthor. I mean, John Byrne had kind of hinted that you know he was this aerospace guy that invented this plane and it started this multinational corporation and now he's just a bigwig but here is the dark seedy uh underbelly that they basically just grafted onto lionel luther on smallville Uh, and you have this reporter that's doing an you know like 
down on his luck, alcoholic. This is his shot to basically get the story on Lex Luthor. And it doesn't end well for him. And they try to pin it on on Clark Kent. <laughs> and so you barely see... I don't think you even see Superman really in the story. Uh, you see Clark Kent a few times. But it's mainly this reporter like digging up the history of Lex Luthor. And uh, Barreto's artwork is just so stunning throughout the whole thing. And the coloring was great. Because uh, it wasn't bright colors. It was dark and kind of muddy. And it was everything it should have been. And uh, Brian Augustine, by the way, was the model for the Lex <laughs> Luthor on the cover, uh, apparently. But yeah, it was it was making fun of the art of the deal. Which, that aged well. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great book. And it, it, this is... I mean, I miss the Lex Luthor who was this villainous. I mean, mm-hmm. now you've had, had uh, Jeff Johns try and reform him. You've had him be, you know, he's like a, you know, a slightly different superhero sometimes. But, you know, in this, he is a ruthless businessman. This is the same Lex Luthor who, um, you know, liked to play games with waitresses and mm-hmm. you know things like that. If you've read that backup story, uh, which I know you have. I'm just talking yeah. to the readers here. Uh, listeners, they're not readers. Um but yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a great one. Um, and mostly forgotten. I don't think it's collected in many places or anything, is it? Uh, at all? The, it is collected in the President Lex trade paperback that came out a couple years ago. And not uh, the first one. Uh, not the first President Lex one that was part of that line from the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, it came out, I think, like 2016-ish, shockingly. <laughs> Again, mm. with that cover. <laughs> um, and it has, like, the President-like storyline and this included in it. So, right. um, it, it basically, one, the upside is you can buy it digitally now, by itself or yeah. with the trade. Uh, but also, it kind of gave it a new life uh, in terms of people who probably, because it was a prestige format book, I don't think a lot of people were aware of it. And, uh, yeah, it's... Not many people talk about it, I must admit. I don't, I don't hear people referring to it much. Hmm. Yeah. We're fixing that. We're fixing it now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and my number one is The Golden Age, which um, I just adore. This would be, if I could only take one comic to a desert island, I don't know why I'm going to a desert island, but let's roll with that, I would probably take this. It's... I, I love the characterization. I love the interplay between the characters. I love you've got some uh, people like Robot Man, not the Doom Patrol one, but he, you know a hero who has just lost his humanity and become a villain. You have some villains who are regaining their humanity. Uh, you have sprawling global problems, and you have you know some super duper evil <laughs> basically brewing away. Um, and a, and a Hot damn, that's a good twist in this story, if you mm-hmm. don't know it. Um, and I recommend you try not to know it going into the story. But, you know, it does have a jaw-dropping twist in it. And, yeah, uh, and it's not, you know, it's engineered so well into the story. Like, it's not a stunt. Um, but And the art is beautiful. And, I don't know, it's just... Oh, it's the, the JSA so lovingly depicted. And I mean, when James Robinson was writing this, everyone was terrified of what he was planning because they had seen Grant Morrison write Kid Eternity and they were uh-huh. like, oh, you're not, you're not going to do that to our beloved heroes. And, you know, uh, James Robinson is not Grant Morrison and is not looking to do that. Uh, 
James Robinson. I get the impression he he loves all the comics that the pre-crisis people love, uh, as far as you know, All Star Squadron and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he you know he wants to sort of update it a bit with a bit more mature themes and a bit more um, adult motivations and things like that. And this is where it starts. And you know, if you read this and you like it, then you, Go read Starman and all these mm-hmm. things like that. And then you'll be reading JSA and then you'll be watching Stargirl and then you'll be me. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's kind of fascinating. I, I remember reading that interview with Robinson where Marv Wolfman was the one said, you're not going to kid eternity to this thing, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and to be fair, uh, as, as groundbreaking as and as important as Vertigo was there were times where it seemed like they were just doing something weird for the sake of doing something weird. Yeah. Uh, and you could do it with a character like Kid Eternity, because I'm sure there are people listening to this right now going, who in the hell is Kid Eternity? Mm. <laughs> and that is a concept that under <laughs> under the thumb of a writer like Grant Morrison could, could go very weird very quickly. But Robinson was just like, no, I'm going to do weird but it's from a place of love. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just, I'm going to subvert things. I'm going to make Robot Man a killer. But it's not because I, I want to show how mature I can make this. It's just this is the natural extension of what would happen to this man. Yeah. And you're right, the twist. Like, when it happened, the first time I read it, I was in an airport waiting for a plane, and I was just like, oh my god. And the people next to me were just like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> you want to turn to people and say, just read the first, you know, three issues of this, and then, tell, you know, get to this point with me, and then you'll understand. <laughs> and then they're yeah. like, stop talking to me, or I'm going to get security. <laughs> so. Yeah. And DC have, this one had an Elseworlds label, but DC really isn't committed to that sticker being on the cover. Like, eh, it's in continuity. It's not out of continuity. And I would say at this point, it probably is in continuity as far as, you know, it's not an Elseworlds. It's 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 the DC universe for real. Uh, it certainly got referred to in Starman. And, you know, yes. this is um, the, the cosmic staff that is seen in this is basically the one that um, Stargirl ends up with. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it's it was funny that you know in '94 DC was just like okay we're kicking the JSA to the curb um, it's it's time to retire them <laughs> their time is done and Mark Wade and James Robinson said nope and like gave them safe shelter <laughs> and and really it was <laughs> it was the combination of JLA being so successful and James Robinson writing a, a, such a stunning book in the form of Starman that they're like, no, we can make this a thing again. And yeah. then it became a thing again. And JSA became a brand, uh, which is why this is now called JSA, the Golden Age, instead of just the Golden Age. Uh, and it was an influence on Darwin Cook for final uh, for New Frontier. Yeah. If um, James Robinson always wanted to write the Silver Age, and then he saw the New Frontier and said, well, that's already been written. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need to do that now. <laughs> he's, he's got that covered. And they're great companion pieces to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they both come at the subject matter with a lot of love and a lot of skill. And a lot of uh, and the art in both of them is stunning and wonderful. Uh, the faces in the Golden Age are just incredible. I mean, yeah, you know, you 
can picture the characters being angry and sad and scared and all sorts of things because they you know it's so vividly drawn by Paul Smith. Yeah, Paul Smith mm. does desperate very well. Oh, doesn't uh, he? And you see that so much in this story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, are you ready to do some honorable mentions? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, I can think of so many that we've missed that, that are special, but uh, yeah, let's let's see what you've got. Um, uh, the the long Halloween Halloween specials by Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb. Um, the third one is kind of like a Christmas Carol, but Halloween, and it's not as good. But the first two are very good little snapshots into Batman and some of his villains. Uh, I haven't read it in years, but I really remember enjoying Howard Chaikin's The Secret Society of Superheroes. I read uh, that a few months ago, yeah. And uh, I remember that being, like, this is obviously from somebody's different perspective, but uh, I appreciated it because I thought it was very well done. Uh, the, um, uh, what was it called? It, I had the name right here, and now it's escaped my brain. Uh, did, did, oh, uh, Batman Dark Allegiance, which is another Chaken thing, uh, which is a Batman Elseworlds, like, kind of set in the 40s. Uh, that's very noir, and I like that. And uh, sticking with Chaken, the Blackhawk three-issue prestige format series. Oh, uh, yeah. Very dark, but really well done. Chaken uh, has such a singular approach to the characters he works with that... It just, like, you either love it or you hate it. There, there, there's no people that are passive Howard Chicken fans. <laughs> yeah, I, I lean to the hate it camp, but I find his earlier stuff better. But I, I think he, I just feel he lacks the affection that James Robinson has for the material. Like, I think he, he goes, I want to do this more mature and I want to do this with a bit more cynicism, but it doesn't quite have the infusion of love that pulls all that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just my opinion uh, on my podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, Incredible right. Hulk uh, Superman, too. Uh, oh, yeah. By Roger Stern and Steve Rude. That was a, that was a fun one. Uh, there's a whole. Well, I'll just cover some of the cro- crossovers. Dark Side Galactus: The Hunger, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a good one. John Byrne, um, Green Lantern, Silver Surfer, Unholy Alliances um, is is nineties tastic. <laughs> the uh, the unofficial prequel to DC versus Marvel. <laughs> yeah, um, you got Batman Spawn, which is everything it says on the cover. Um, yeah, but there's uh, Batman versus Predator and Superman Aliens are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, different types of stories and well worth tracking down just for themselves. Um, the Batman Grendel crossovers, I have a really uh, soft spot for those. Um, JLA Wildcats, which is one of the few spin offs which was actually written by Grant Morrison. Um, and yeah it's worthy i I quite like it and uh, the planetary ones are are really good and the authority planetary authority batman planetary and jla planetary there they're all worth a look um but my proper honorable mentions okay i've got history of the dc universe Mm -hmm. which which is um a book that's pretty significant at the time and beautifully illustrated and I don't know. Do people know what to do with this now? I, I don't know what to do with it. You stick it in the back of a crisis uh, hardcover, <laughs> is what you do now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got the uh, limited edition one, which had the fold-out poster mm-hmm. of all the 
Yeah, so I have that beautiful one. Um, all right, here's one. Batman Gotham Noir, which is... what? What's special about this one? Do you know? I do not know. Okay, I think this is the first time that Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker teamed up. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that... Yeah, okay. so, um, you know, they've made a bit of a name for themselves. If you've read Criminal or Reckless and all those things, and Sleeper and everything they've done for the years, that was the first one, I believe. Batman the Scottish Connection, which was the first time DC published uh, Frank Quitely with uh, Alan uh, Alan Grant, or was it John Wagner? I think it's John Wagner. <laughs> I get them confused. It's, I think it's uh, Alan Grant, because if I'm remembering the history correctly, it was Alan Grant and John Wagner were the name in the credits for like the first year on Detective, yeah. but John Wagner bailed, because he just wasn't right. into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Judge Dredd guys. Um, but uh, yeah, this was the first time Frank Quitely... Um, came over the DC Universe, and they, this story is quite small and strange, but it has beautiful art. But, it, you know, when you think of the epic stuff that uh, Frank Quietly is uh, capable of, sending Batman to Scotland isn't the best choice. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, now, there's one I love. It almost made my list, but I just couldn't justify it. It's JLA Welcome to the work, Working Week. Uh, which is a fantastic story uh, just about some guy who ends up stranded on the JLA satellite and ends up uh, being there in secret, though the Martian Manhunter knows he's there. Um, and this is notable because it's written by Patton Oswalt, um, mm -hmm. who writes a good comic, I must say. And uh, it's probably one of the best outside of Starman J Jack Knight appearances. Because um, all he d he's doing is talking about collectibles at a party. <laughs> so I love it. Have you That's read on, that one? I have not, but that is very on brand for Jack Knight. Um, yeah, yeah. So. And um, people may not know this, but Garth Ennis likes to do war comics. Um, <laughs> and he did a two-issue prestige series called Enemy Ace War in Heaven, which is about uh, Enemy Ace after World War One, involved in a couple of conflicts. And, uh, yeah, very cool. Like, he gets a, basically like a Misha Schmidt uh, fighter, but paints it bright red. <laughs> Unlike everyone else who's doing this sky camo stuff and, uh, you know, ends up fighting. But, uh, you know, a really good uh, comic and a lot to say about um, the state of Nazi leadership, as you could imagine. So I need to track that down then because he does good war comics. He um, does great ones, yeah. That's a killer it, one, that one. Be because he's uh, not from the U.S. Uh, and from an area of the world that was bombed during World War II, culturally, they just have just a completely different perspective. Uh, and, and I've gotten this through listening to Hey Kids comics and listening to some other British podcasts that, you know, it's just like, they don't have, like, the superhero soldiers that America does. <laughs> yeah. And Chris Weston does the art on that, and that man is born to uh, draw uh, machinery, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Now, um, I'm surprised neither of this made it didn't make our top five. Where are you at on the nail? JLA the nail. Uh, I like it. I think it's very it's beautiful to look at. Um, I just it came out at a time when that sort of Elseworlds prestige format book was saturating the market. Yeah. So I think for me, it got lost in all of that because I remember reading it and going, "Oh, that's that's kind of cool," and it's Alan Davis art artwork, so you know it's it's gonna look great. And I, and I liked Jedediah Kent uh, <laughs> at the end, uh, but it's it's like one of those things. 
Marvel has What If and DC has Elseworlds and like everything else they approach a similar concept differently whereas Marvel was always like okay everything happened as you knew it or read it up to this point and then it goes to hell mm. and DC's more like no there's more of a butterfly effect that this affects everything in the universe and that was definitely one of those where the Kents not finding baby Kal-El has a catastrophic influence on the entire DC universe. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good, but I'm sure lots of other people would have that on their top five quite easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're probably thinking, why haven't we mentioned red sun? There you go. I have, um, now there's one, some of them weren't very, like some of them weren't big stories. They were just cool stories. And one of them that uh, is top of my list as far as that is, Batman Chronicles The Gauntlet, which was written by Bruce Canwell with art by Lee Weeks. And this is like uh, Dick Grayson Robin's final exam become, to become Robin. So he basically has to go out in the city and elude Batman for 24 hours. And wackiness ensues. But it, it's a really great story. And, you know, it's finally great to see people recognizing how awesome Lee Weeks is again uh, yes. with his work with Tom King and stuff like that because uh, that man can draw. Um, and this is a really good story. And Every now and again, someone will mention it, so you just know it's in continuity. In fact, it's just been mentioned recently in the Robins book, which is, uh, wow, uh, what's better than a comic about Robin? A comic about all the Robins. Um, and <laughs> let's make that win a competition where you know we could have got something different. But anyway, I'm not bitter. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you have any more honorable mentions? Superman Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek. Oh, yes. Uh People put this on like their top Superman stories of all time, and I'm always a little reticent to do that because it's not. It's about Superman. It's about the idea of Superman, but between Buziak's writing and Kurt and Stuart Immerman's artwork, it's just a. It's a beautiful story. Literally, that's the best way to describe it because it's the life of this guy, and what mm. happens to him and and his handler and and all that. It's just. It's just one of those things that. I remember reading it and just finding it to be really, really, uh, like, like I smiled through the whole thing. Uh, I kind of mentioned it before, uh, Adventures of Captain America by Nicieza and McGuire. Uh, it's a, it's a great take on the early days of Captain America. Uh, and again, a lot of it was incorporated into First Adventures, so there's that. The, um, Batman Captain America, speaking of crossovers is just so much fun. Like it's really one of my favorite of the of the DC Marvel crossovers of that era. Uh I just thought that it was uh it was Burn just having a ball and the fact that he put it into the generations continuity which oddly enough uh I am in the middle uh, of this as of this recording editing a bunch of episodes that are coming out in December of Overlook Dark Knight where Andy and I talk about the first two Superman Batman Generations uh, miniseries, which is why I didn't put them on my list, uh, because I'm talking about them in, in depth elsewhere. But the second one, the second one's good. The first one's great. Uh, but the problem is with the second one, it's just kind of supplementary stuff to the first one. So if you are going to read both, I always suggest reading it in chronological order, because uh, there's different chapters that take place in different decades. And reading it in chronological order, not issue order, actually makes the story go down better. Uh, because you're not 
rehashing certain things in the second one. Uh, but great John Byrne art and, uh, yeah, it isn't until the third series, which was a prestige format that he had the uncomfortable adult kissing a teenager, uh, <laughs> thing. Ben's going to Ben. That's, uh, that's a thing, um, with him. There was a, a, a series called JLA Haven. Oh yes. I remember that. Uh, that I remember enjoying. Um, I don't think I want to go back and reread it, but I remember when it came out, the art by Ariel Olivetti. Is that that guy's name? Is that how you pronounce it? I think that? so, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was just so different from everything else on the stands that uh, that I, I just really, I kind of dug it because of that. Uh, and it was one of those ones. Uh, th- there's one called um, JLA 2000. Yep. Which, or JSA 2000. Or JSA 2000. Which yeah, it was called both, I think. Is good. But, uh, yeah, there's some skeevy stuff in there with them torturing the Martian Manhunter. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I would say it's good with a question mark. It's yeah. definitely got some <laughs> strange stuff in there. <laughs> so, I would put it under my honorable mentions uh, a couple that you had on your list. Definitely Black, Black Orchid and uh, Books of Magic really because they were vertigo before vertigo basically and they were the templates for what became vertigo and then it became a brand and then it was i don't know i i I think sometimes like you know for every doom patrol you had five sebastian o's (laughs) and uh that's why i think vertigo was kind of a, a little bit of a an office. Uh, another one that uh, I guess you can kind of count as a prestige format is Marvels uh, uh, by, by Bouzier. That's and Ross. got staples. It's got staples, man. Oh, okay. So you're. <laughs> so the acetate cover isn't enough. It's got staples, so it doesn't count. Yeah, that, no, uh, that needs enough. We'll do that uh, on an acetate episode. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be a short episode. <laughs> I think I've got an Iron Man Captain America crossover with an acetate cover. Yeah. But it doesn't have staples, so there's that. So. And then you have the last Avenger story, um, <laughs> which is not good. Uh, Superman and Batman both had, like, countless uh, prestige format series. And unfortunately, with the Superman ones, a lot of them weren't really worth that format. But two of them that spring to mind are, one is the, the Elseworlds Superman Cal, uh, yeah. with uh, art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Praise be his name. And uh, it's, it's just this really great medieval story, kind of like a proto-Arthurian legend uh, that disturbed me greatly when I first read it, because of what happens with Lois. But also, um, from around the same time, uh, written by Chuck Dixon, Superman the Odyssey, oh. which was a story of Clark Kent when he was kind of roaming the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. Uh, and he gets involved with this Asian country, and it's kind of showing him figuring himself out. Uh, and I remember enjoying that uh, greatly because it was just, like you did, like I said, you didn't have many early Superman stories. Like, everything's all about, you know, Batman when he was learning to tie his shoes. <laughs> but with Superman, you know, you didn't have a lot at the time exploring his early years. That changed <laughs> over the last 10 years where yeah. that's uh, that's 
that's more of a thing now, um, and I'm kind of sick of it. But yeah, back then you didn't get that all that much. So, mm, okay, well, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think we've had a really good discussion, but no one has ever done a definitive list of prestige mm-hmm. editions that I can find or you can find, and no one's ever, you know, cataloged them all. Like I don't know when the last one was, and I, you know, I feel like. Uh, DC did those DC Universe Presents 100-page specials, mm-hmm. and they they look like a prestige edition, but the covers aren't as sturdy. Um, yeah. You know, but they have, you know, they look like an, uh, a cheap foreign knockoff of them. Um, but, yeah, yeah, like Superman the Earth Stealers would be a really early one, wouldn't it? And Yeah, that, that was, um, that only recently got repr- reprinted for the first time. Uh, in one of the recent Man of Steel hardcovers. Yeah. Uh, I, I was yeah. like, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> glad to have it on yeah. the shelf again. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I certainly can't find any before Dark Knight Returns. So you've got uh, Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke both in 86. Uh, uh, well, or... you don't really have Prestige Format these days, but now you have Prestige Format Plus. Yeah, you've got Black Label, which um, yeah. someone will do a podcast about in 30 years' time. So look forward to that. And yeah. I've only bought the first two issues of the Superman Year One, and uh, I'm good not having the third. I've got some Black Label. I really like the other history of the DC Universe. That has been great. Um, and I did read Three Jokers, which has three Jokers in it. Spoilers. Yeah, and that was pretty good. Beautiful art. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Black Label doesn't have a unified format. Like sometimes it is staples, sometimes it's oversized, sometimes it's square bound. Um, but it's never quite um, prestige format. Like prestige format, the cover, the cover stock, I think, is what makes it. And because it's DC Comics, they've now retrofitted certain stories to Black Label, like Kingdom Come. Yeah. And uh, All Star Superman. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's, um, we want to reprint this a lot and make money format. <laughs> They're good at that. Um, especially mm. if it's Jim Lee or Jeff Johns, they'll, uh, <laughs> this yeah. is, this is, this is Batman Hush, just the blue line. It's just... <laughs> Batman Hush, for... the conversation about it. Yeah. Hush conversations. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, no, I wish they'd reprint Hush sometimes. Yeah, um, man, I, I don't think, uh, though in all honesty, when people at, who don't read comics a lot ask me, uh, what's a good Batman trade to pick up, I tell them Batman Hush. Oh yeah, uh, it's the best of um, Batman's villains in yeah. one book, it's uh, it's cool. Yeah, alright, well I think we have wound this uh, conversation to a close. Now, Thank you, Mike. Now, where can people find you, Mr. Uh, FortressofBailyTude.com, which is the home of the Fortress of BaileyTude podcasting network, uh, where I do shows with, like uh, From Crisis to Crisis, which I do with Jeffrey Taylor, and the Superman and Lois tapes, which I do with Bethany and Allison, and uh, the Overlooked Dark Knight, which I do with Andy Leyland, and every once in a while I'll kick out a Views from the Long Box. In fact, I just recorded one with Andy last night. Uh, so that'll hopefully be out by the end of the month. But knowing me, it could be like five years from now. Um, because life really gets complicated really fast, and sometimes I don't have time to edit. But uh, yep, there you can find all of my podcasting funness. Um, the thing I like about your podcast is, you know, sometimes there's none. It's like waiting for a bus, and then sometimes five come at once. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I've just accepted that that's me, and I'm yeah. not going to stress about it. But uh... And then sometimes there are even little time capsules, because you'll be talking about a current event, which is you know a year and a half old, suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah, and, you know, if you're listening to this, you hopefully know me, or you, maybe you're a fan of Michael Bailey's, and you've come in just to hear him. But, yeah, I'm waiting for... Doom is my Doom Patrol podcast that I do with Mike Garvey, and uh, we also did DC OCD. So if there's a DC crossover or an event that you like, chances are I've done an episode about it and uh, given it a score with a few other people. And what else do I do? Dial F for Flanger, which is this show where I chat with different people about different stuff, and it's hopefully entertaining. And I guess the Gary Show needs to mention the Gary Show where Mike <laughs> and I just just talk. Uh, that's Mike Garvey, not Mike Bailey. Uh, too many mics. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I have less of an accent than he does. Or maybe I have more, depending on where you are. <laughs> no, well, uh, I've always said the Australian voice is actually the absence of an accent the, to the ears of the rest of the world. So, there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to realize we're, we're I come from a country where all we know of your culture is Paul Hogan and uh, the Crocodile Hunter. So, yeah, we we have a very strong Crocodile Association <laughs> going in the public. Every once in a while, you'll have somebody that really likes Kylie Minogue, but yeah, yeah. Well, she's. Uh, I mean, her new album has been spectacular. So you know, good honor. Well. Join me again next time on another episode where we'll be talking about something else with someone else. I promise. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.